Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need. This is the Big Six. It's going to be you. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining me. The rain, the rain, the rain. Hopefully you're safe wherever you are. Flooding, flash flooding this morning. It is just a ton of water. I was driving in to uh, host Outkick the coverage for Clay this morning and uh, was very worried about some of the cars that I was seeing out there. So hopefully everybody is safe we got sports to talk about tonight. We've also got a chance for you to win a free registration to the Fantastic 5K that's coming up this Saturday. We'll give you a chance to do that in the next segment, so stick around for that giveaway here tonight on the Big Six. going to be a lot of fun. Sort of fun for Vols fans last night as well as Tennessee beat Vanderbilt. Not a lot of points scored in that game. 58-46, still got it done. Sometimes you're going to be that way. There might be a little bit of hangover left over from that Kentucky loss on Saturday. LSU coming up this weekend. That's a big game. That's one where you really want to see the Vols kind of get back down to business and get their get their sea legs back underneath them. Seems like they took a bit of a haymaker from Mike Tyson and punch out back in the day. Little Mac needs to answer that. Need to hit that A button as much as you can to stand back up. They'll be all right. But a couple of stories nationally. Tonight the big game, obviously, is Duke and North Carolina. And I grew up in North Carolina. I was born in Virginia, but I spent you know my middle school, high school years, and then I went to NC State for a couple of years in North Carolina. So I know how Tobacco Road can get with college basketball. And I know the stories. I remember when I was at NC State, my first girlfriend was a student at North Carolina Chapel Hill. And she would tell me, okay, well, if we want to go to the Duke game, if we want to try to go to Duke, North Carolina, you have to camp outside Cameron Indoor for a couple of days and then hopefully you'll be able to do that. And that's just for students. So we knew some people at Duke and tried to get that done. Never actually happened. But the main reason why you have to camp out is because there's 9,000 seats in that place. And that's why the average ticket right now, just for the lowest price ticket to get in to see tonight's game, is 2500 bucks, Which sounds ridiculous for a college basketball game in the regular season. There's a guy on Vivid Seats, this story's everywhere, that paid over $10,500 to get into that building tonight to see that game because of Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson, who is a minus 2,000 bet to be the number one pick in the NBA draft, has everybody just losing their minds, basically, about what he's going to be. And we've seen the block, and I, you know, I talked about it, Chad Withrow has talked about it, other people on this station have talked about it, Grant Williams had a really similar block in a more key spot earlier this season that we still have never seen the replay of. 
the Zion Williamson block we're probably going to see for the next decade on ESPN. And my question is this. Zion Williamson is can't miss when it comes to college basketball. There is no question about that. But do you remember that great high school athlete that you watched? I mean the one that just, he played quarterback, right? He was, he was on the high school football team. He was on the varsity team from like ninth grade on. He was a little bit bigger and he was faster. And they put him in at quarterback and he rushed for like 80 touchdowns. And he threw for another 21. But you just could not stop the guy. Remember Jalen Hurd at Beach? And what he was able to do? Or Jalen Reeves-Maben? Or some of these guys. Whoever it is. You had one at your school if your school was any good at all. Or you played against a great dominant guy because your high school wasn't very good and the dude put up like 75 points on you. You remember that guy and you were like, man, he's going to be a total stud. And then he ends up playing at like, eh, a middle-of-the-road college team and he scores like four touchdowns in a season. And then he kind of fizzles out and then he disappears. There was a kid that I watched that played high school basketball, and I covered a lot of his games. And I'm like, man, he's going to be a stud. He's playing for like a D2 school right now, averaging nine minutes a game. Like, it's just, this is the way kind of things happen. <laughs> Eventually, you hit a level where everybody is as good as you are. Zion Williamson has not hit that level yet. In high school, he was bigger than everybody. He was stronger than everybody. And he has highlight reel dunks. Now he's at Duke. He's still bigger than everybody. He's still stronger than everybody. And he's still got highlight reel dunks. But I am not 100% sure that in the 2019 version of the NBA that Zion Williamson is some transcendent talent that's going to change the world the way some people seem to want to believe or certainly are pushing that storyline out there already. Do I think he should be the number one pick in the draft? Yeah. That makes all the sense in the world. It's a bet that you would you would make, certainly over the other guys that are out there, because if he's able to live up to three-quarters of the hype that's surrounding him, he's a Hall of Famer. I don't know whether he's going to be able to do that again, because I don't look at Zion Williamson and say, that's LeBron James again, or that's Kobe Bryant again, or that's Kevin Garnett even again. I look at Zion Williamson... And here's the guy that I continue to just compare him to. I think Zion Williamson is much more akin to Blake Griffin than he is to a LeBron James type. You don't win in the NBA with one superstar. You win in the NBA creating a superstar team almost always with multiple Hall of Famers on it. Even the greatest players had help. Shaq, one of, one of if not the most dominant force from a physical standpoint we've ever seen, and did have a good, he had great touch around the rims. He didn't just dunk the basketball. He still won when he had Kobe Bryant, and he still won when he had Dwayne Wade. And Dwayne Wade had Shaq. And then Dwayne Wade had LeBron and Chris Bosh. And LeBron had Kyrie Irving. And Steph Curry had Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. Michael Jordan, he made Scottie Pippen a lot better, but he had Scottie Pippen, and he had some great role players. Magic had Kareem. He had James Worthy. That's three Hall of Famers on that team. Larry Bird had Dennis Johnson. He had Kevin McHale. He had Robert Parrish. That doesn't mean that those players weren't great. Every one of the guys that I started each list with, they're all as good as it gets, but they needed help. They needed something to come together that made sense. I mean, Jason Kidd was in Dallas, 
early on, even though you had Dirk Nowitzki there. So that was another problem that was happening at the same time. So you've got one dude, you've got a creative super team. So the Knicks are thinking, okay, if we can get the number one pick in Zion Williamson, then we've got Zion, but we've also got Kyrie Irving, and we've got Kevin Durant, because that's sort of the speculation. Okay, then maybe you've got something. But Blake Griffin's not ever going to win a championship in De- in uh, Detroit by himself, just like he wasn't even with Chris Paul with the Clippers. The main thing about Blake Griffin was, when you saw Blake Griffin at Oklahoma, what did you see? You saw a really physically imposing guy that dunked a lot. What are you seeing from Zion Williamson on the basketball floor? You're seeing a really imposing guy who dunks a lot. Doesn't shoot very many threes. I think he's taken a couple this year. Isn't particularly good from mid-range. He does handle the ball pretty well for a big man. And I think he's a smart kid. I think he's a smart player. I think he has good basketball acumen. So you can certainly add that to the mix. But if Zion Williamson is Blake Griffin, is that transcendent? Is that worth all the hype that we're seeing? He's must-see at Duke. Is he going to be must-see in the NBA long-term? And is he going to be a guy that you're going to want to watch for 48 minutes a night? Or is he perfect for the Twitter universe, the social media universe, where you can watch his highlights in eight-second bursts and then hope he competes in the dunk contest? And if he turns out to be Blake Griffin, what does that mean? I don't think by any means he's going to be a bust, but I think he's about 15 years too late to be what he could have been. Because the NBA now is about shooting threes, folks. In the All-Star game, there were over 160 of them shot between those two teams. Who's winning championships? Dudes that shoot threes with the Golden State Warriors. Now, interestingly enough, the Warriors are also very prolific from about 15 to 17 feet and took a whole lot more twos than people thought. But if you're winning games these days in college or the pros, you're shooting a high percentage from three. Villanova shot nothing but threes, it seemed like last year in the NCAA tournament, and cruised their way to a national championship. To me, it bored me to tears. I never thought I would become the guy that would say, man, basketball would be better without a three-point line. But I'm starting to believe that because the fundamentals are gone. Just shoot from 35 feet. Train your kid to try to be Steph Curry, but for some reason don't tell him, by the way, there's only one Steph Curry that's ever existed that's been able to do this, but go ahead. Don't even shoot in your driveway. Shoot in the driveway across from your house. Start making those shots. Take 5,000 from 47 feet. That's what basketball has become. So where does Zion Williamson really fit into that mode? I mean, look at Marvin Bagley right now in Sacramento. He's not a bust, but Marvin Bagley seems like a dinosaur. Zion Williamson is going to have to develop a mid-range game to really be what he can be. Or he's not going to be as good as a Giannis. Or he's not going to be as good as many other guys that would stand out in the same way. So, I'm just very curious to see what Zion Williamson does once he gets to the NBA. He may be a national champion by the time he gets there. Duke being the number one team in the country, yeah, they are the number one team in the country. Because three of their starters are supposedly going in the top four of the NBA draft. With the exception of Ja Morant at Murray State, it's all Duke. One, two, and four, according to Chad Ford's NBA mock draft. With Zion Williamson first and then R.J. Barrett, and then Cam Reddish. They should be the number one team in the country. I made that point about Tennessee. The fact that Tennessee has all these older guys. I mean, you remember the knock on Tyler Hansbrough at North Carolina when he was going to the pros? He stayed through his senior year because he was trying to improve his draft position because he wasn't a no-doubt NBA kind of guy. 
And that is generally the case on some of these older veteran teams. Duke is a one-and-done team. Kentucky is a one-and-done team. So you have these NBA stars. You have these guys that if they gel, they should win championships. Duke, their Achilles heel might be the fact that they don't shoot it very well on a consistent basis. And if they show up one out of six times in the NCAA tournament and shoot 35% that night, they can get beat. But Zion Williamson has so much hype around him that people are willing to pay an average of $2,500 for a regular season game between Duke and North Carolina where we might see that matchup again in a couple of weeks in the ACC tournament final. And we could even see that matchup happen in the Final Four, depending on where the brackets are. This is a regular season game, but because this transcendent figure that is Zion Williamson is going to be on the floor, some dude paid 10000 bucks to sit there and watch a 40-minute college basketball game. Now, you're wondering why those tickets are so expensive. Well, 9,000 seats. The Dean Dome seats over 23,000. If Cameron saw it that much, if you were able to get in and there were that many people there, the ticket prices would be down. But it seems outrageous that people would pay this much, but it just gets me to thinking again, Zion is so much fun to watch on Saturdays. But when he's playing these back-to-backs and he's playing all the things at the NBA game, eventually, again, that high school athlete gets to college and all of a sudden he's either middle of the road or he was as good as you thought he was and then gets to the pros and then most of the time he turns out to be middle of the road. Eventually, you run into your ceiling. I don't know what Zion Williamson's ceiling is, but I feel like it is considerably lower in 2019 than it would have been in 1999. So I'm not seeing LeBron James yet. I'm seeing Blake Griffin, maybe a more athletic version of Blake Griffin, who has holes in his game that happen to be the kind of holes that can take you out of being a true superstar in the NBA. Not saying I'm rooting against him. I'm just saying, to me, Zion Williamson is still a work in progress. But not on the college level. So, just like all of you, I'll be watching Duke in North Carolina tonight. When we come back, Antonio Brown, it just continues, folks. I had no idea that Antonio Brown was going to turn out to be the biggest diva at the wide receiver position since Terrell Owens, but here we are. Your chance to win a free registration to the Fantastic 5K coming up this weekend. That's in the next segment. Stick around for that. Big Six rolling along here on a Wednesday. I'm 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back into the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Jason Martin with you on Twitter at jmartzone. So I told you, chance to win something tonight. Preds Pride, show it. 2019 Fantastic 5K coming up this Saturday, beginning at 8 a.m. Bridgestone Arena, presented by Intellicentrics. It's supporting the Nashville Predators Foundation and the 365 Pediatric Cancer Fund, and it's presented by Twice Daily. You're going to run, and Nash is going to run with you. He's going to lead the way to the finish line. You'll receive your finisher's medal. You'll also get one free beverage with the drink tab from your runner's bib at Pete and Terry's Tavern. Of course, you got to be 21 with a valid ID to receive that. But you're also, with your registration, going to get a promo code. That's going to be redeemable for 15% off a single game rate for one of the following Predators home games. Either the 25th versus the Oilers on Monday, March the 5th versus the Minnesota Wild. Both those games, 7 p.m. starts. Two tickets maximum. One transaction, 
per person. But you're also going to get a race t-shirt from the Fantastic 5K, and you're doing it for a good cause on top of that. They'll have some food for you to make sure that you've got nutrition after you do that. So free registration is available right now for the fifth caller to 737-ZONE. That's 737-0663. Talk to my man, Ryan. He will set you up. Fifth caller wins here tonight on the Big Six. Get a free registration into the Fantastic 5K. I was actually going to do it last year, and then I kind of dinged up my heel a couple of weeks before. I was registered whole nine, and plantar fasciitis found its way into my life. Ended up not being able to run. But you can run. It's going to be a lot of fun. I wish I could do it. Unfortunately, not going to be able to make it this year. Maybe I'll do it. Eventually, I'm going to do this thing. But the Fantastic 5K is out there for you. So go ahead and uh, be the fifth caller to Ryan right now at 737-ZONE. That's 0663. All right. Antonio Brown tweets yesterday because, of course, he does. And he says, all right, we're done here. We met, meaning he and Art Rooney met. And now we've decided the best thing for me is to move on. And when I first saw this, I thought, hmm, is that true or is that a lie? Because at this point, Antonio Brown might just say that because he's trying to toxicify himself to the extent that he will get out of there. Mina Kime said this on ESPN yesterday. I like her, and, and this was a good analogy. She said that Antonio Brown has become the roommate that is so dirty and filthy and disgusting that you're willing to let him out of his lease just to get him out of there. And that's what Antonio Brown has tried to become for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, he's going to count big-time dead money, like $21-plus million in dead cap money, but they're going to be able to get it back the year after. He's still got three years left on his deal, and I continue to wonder, are they going to move him? It's still about a 50% chance, because they've got to get the right offer. And now that right offer is looking like most people, maybe a, a second-round pick, maybe a third-round pick in a different year. Doesn't look like it's going to be a lot of first-rounders going for Antonio Brown, which seems on the surface to be nuts in terms of how prolific he is. But then you look at the baggage that you're taking on. Where he goes determines a lot of this. But if I'm somebody with a young quarterback, I don't know if I want to bring an Antonio Brown in as great as he is because if things don't go well, he's going to sell my quarterback out and maybe kill his confidence, kill the locker room in the process. So where can he end up? I was speculating earlier this morning on Outkick to Coverage where I'm filling in for Clay Travis. You hear the first hour of that show right here on 104.5 The Zone before the wake-up zone begins. And I suggested a couple of different teams. There are nine teams in an article that was put out on ESPN.com featuring several NFL executives. But I thought about the Seahawks because they're going to back their quarterback. They've already proven that, especially against aging talent. Defenders that came out and said negative stuff about Russell Wilson, well, they're gone now. Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett, there were unnamed defenders, defensive football players for the Seahawks that said things that weren't great about Russell Wilson and how it seemed like the franchise was coddling him, and they all were shipped out and Russell Wilson was able to win games this year because that's what Russell Wilson does. So the Seahawks don't have a dominant guy. They've got a very underrated guy. I think they've got underrated receivers, but I don't know that they have that stud number one that Antonio Brown could be. And just as sometimes you have number ones that are actually number twos, some might think that that's the situation in Tennessee right now with the Titans and Corey Davis. I don't know because I don't know that we've seen Corey Davis have a consistent enough chance to be a number one wide receiver in this league yet. But if you get Antonio Brown and you could move a Doug Baldwin into the number two slot, that's unbelievable. If you send him to New England, for example, let's say the Patriots make the best offer, Pittsburgh wouldn't want to send Antonio Brown there. 
But if it were to go there, then you put Edelman really in that slot role. You have the best wide receiver by far that that franchise has had since Randy Moss. It's a franchise that's used to going after trouble wide receivers, honestly, or guys that are deemed to be divas. They've had Chad Johnson there. didn't work. They tried Josh Gordon. He was doing well, but obviously his demons caught up with him and he had to leave the team. They had Randy Moss, which, well, we know how that worked out. So they have brought in this kind of guy before. And there was a speculation that came out from Chris Sims of Bleacher Report a couple of days ago that the Giants were actively looking to move Odell Beckham Jr. during the offseason. And then the Patriots turned out to be the number one suitor, and they tried to make it happen. And then the Giants pulled back, which led me to wonder, did you need the Patriots to be interested in Odell Beckham Jr. to realize how good Odell Beckham Jr. is as a football player in the NFL? I don't know what that says about the New York Giants. They were going to move him, and then Belichick wanted him. They're like, wait a second. Bill Belichick wants this guy? Maybe he's a pretty good football player. I don't think you needed the Patriots to make that decision, especially, again, like I just said. They have no problem going after some guys that have had issues in the past, particularly at that position. Can they mess with Tom Brady? If they do, they're going to win a Super Bowl. If they don't, all right, we'll win a Super Bowl anyway. That's what we just saw with the Josh Gordon thing. But Antonio Brown, I never knew was going to turn into the biggest diva in the NFL at the wide receiver spot since Terrell Owens, but that's what's happened. He's a malcontent. He's constantly talking about himself. He's now saying, don't call me AB anymore. Call me Mr. Big Chest. He's out here doing Instagram videos. He's burying Ben Roethlisberger. He's unhappy that Juju Smith-Schuster's become the number one guy on that team, or certainly was last season. He's just constantly talking. He wants people to talk about Antonio Brown. There was a time when I thought Antonio Brown was just kind of a mild-mannered, great football player that caught a lot of touchdowns and was probably the best wide receiver in the league. Now, all of a sudden, Antonio Brown is trying to be some kind of a superstar tabloid figure. I mean, he was smiling and cheesing on the front of the Madden 19 cover. And now all you see is whatever this mustache is he's doing and everything that he's trying to put out there publicly. I had someone ask me this morning whether or not the fact that Drew Rosenhaus is his agent has anything to do with it, considering Rosenhaus manages these kind of personalities from time to time and was well-known for representing Terrell Owens and other celebrities. I don't think Drew Rosenhaus would want Antonio Brown doing this at all because this appears to be kind of poisoning the well of his trade value because he limits his destinations every time he opens his mouth. Antonio Brown has never played on a team in the NFL with a losing record. Not once. It's at least been 500 throughout his entire career in Pittsburgh, which says a lot about Mike Tomlin, says a lot about Roethlisberger and and the Roonies and the way that they've built that team. How is Antonio Brown who can't stay happy there, who has turned into such a diva, how do you feel like Antonio Brown's going to do if you go to if he goes to a team that wins five games? How long is it going to take before he is burying everybody else on social media? And if you're a team that needs a lot of pieces, I don't think you can even consider Antonio Brown. Not even consider him. He'd better be the final piece in a championship puzzle in a well-run organization where everything already makes sense. But if you need a bunch of spots in the offensive line or you're a couple of defensive players away and all of these things, don't even bother with Antonio Brown. 
That's another reason I think Seattle could be a team that makes some kind of sense. I think Green Bay could make sense, just because Roethlisberger and Rodgers are similar in terms of their ego and how hard it can be to get along with them. But Antonio Brown's already used to that. And Aaron Rodgers is probably not going to care if Antonio Brown talks about him or not. Because everybody else says Aaron Rodgers is the most talented player ever at that position. Unless Patrick Mahomes ends up taking that away from him down the road. But you take Devontae Adams, who is a number one receiver, but you make him number two, and you put Antonio Brown over there, and you put them opposite one another, that's ugly, folks. The Colts don't seem like the kind of team that would take a shot on an, on an Antonio Brown, but T.Y. Hilton and Antonio Brown and whatever we saw in Eric Ebron and a very affable force, for lack of a better term, in Andrew Luck, could it work there? Maybe. Chris Ballard's not a guy I think is going to pay a ton for a wide receiver, but maybe that's an option. Philadelphia, maybe that's an option. Maybe they need another wide receiver there. Chicago, he would fit great with Matt Nagy's offense, but there's a situation where if I'm Chicago, I'm reticent to bring an Antonio Brown into that locker room because I got Mitch Trubisky at quarterback, and I'm not sure what that means yet. You might be sold on Mitchell Trubisky. I am not. If he goes out there and he's not able to get the ball to Antonio Brown consistently, or if he's overthrowing Antonio Brown, or if he's throwing too often to Allen Robinson or somebody else on that team, or they're running the ball too often, how long is it going to be before Antonio Brown is talking? And if he's talking, can you handle that? You have to be able to accept the baggage that comes along with Antonio Brown to want Antonio Brown right now on your team. That's what he has become. Every time he opens his mouth, you have to start to evaluate that. One team I thought about that made some sense to me was Carolina. Carolina's another team that's had loudmouths on their team before. Cam obviously has a lot of headlines, but Josh Norman used to play there. There were guys, and Steve Smith used to play there, another wide receiver that talked a whole lot. And if you look at the rest of that division, the other three teams in the NFC South have number one dominant wide receivers. you got Mike Evans in Tampa Bay, you got Julio Jones in Atlanta, and you've got Michael Thomas in New Orleans. Carolina's only had two real receivers that you even think about in the history of their franchise, honestly. They had Steve Smith, and they had Masim Muhammad. And Masim Muhammad was basically a great possession receiver. But they've never had that dominant number one guy that you really point to. Steve Smith just was a force of nature. But they've never had an Antonio Brown there. Maybe he would fit there. It has to be the right fit. It's got to be a team that can handle his antics, despite how great he is on the field. You have to understand and be able to handle what Antonio Brown is going to bring to your franchise, which is great hands, great route running, incredible talent, and drama, drama, drama. Like David Chase writing the third season of Sopranos level drama. Like Game of Thrones drama. Like madman drama. This dude doesn't just play football anymore. Antonio Brown is about Antonio Brown. So to the person who asked me about Drew Rosenhaus having some impact, I would say Drew Rosenhaus is more likely trying to tell Antonio Brown to quiet down because he is harming his trade value with every move. And the Steelers do have all the options here. They can trade him wherever they want to trade him. They're going to trade him wherever they're going to get the best deal for him. Now, he might try to go Anthony Davis and try to submarine certain teams, but the Steelers have all the leverage here. And there's three years 
left on this dude's deal. This is incredible how out of hand this situation has gotten. But he says he's out of there. He says that they've decided they want to mutually move on. I guess so. But I don't think that the list of suitors is nearly as long as it would have been even six months ago. Because Antonio Brown decided he wanted to talk more than he wanted to play football. Even in the most important game of the season. When he decided, nah, I'll sit this one out. We won't. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Um. Welcome back into the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Rainy Wednesday after a rainy Tuesday. It's going to be a rainy Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as well. Flood watch today. Flood watch coming up this weekend. It is seriously just animals being led two by two outside. It has been... I was driving this morning. It was absolutely incredible. The, just the sheer quantity of rain coming down. We're here on 104.5 The Zone. Manny Machado. Ten years, $300 million to the San Diego Padres. This is the largest free agent contract in American sports history. A-Rod had a 10-year, $275 million deal. That deal with Texas that ended up sending him to New York. And Giancarlo Stanton made $325 million, but that was a little bit different. That wasn't a free agent contract. So Machado got paid to go to San Diego. And if you look at the Vegas numbers, the win total went up exactly two games in terms of the Padres. Somewhere between 67 and 69 and a half games before and after Machado. That seems like a lot of money to pay to win two and a half more games. But there's a different way to look at this. And that is, one, it's a long-term move, not a short-term. I'm not saying because it's a 10-year deal. 10-year deals are crazy to me. You have to hope that the first five of them are going to pay off. The Padres have the best farm system in the league, according to Keith Law of ESPN and a number of other people. They've got four of the top 30 prospects in minor league baseball. They've got pitching. They've got young hitting. But that it's probably not going to arrive until 2020. So you get Manny Machado and you pay him. You make him sort of the face of that franchise. And you set yourself up to be good in the future. But you're paying him now. You're paying him $30 million a year per for this 10-year deal. Which actually is only the seventh most in the league. And even though the number is eye-popping, what does it mean for a franchise like the San Diego Padres, who, and this stat is unreal to me, Manny Machado started in the All-Star game this past year. The last position player to start in an All-Star game as a San Diego Padre was Tony Gwynn back in 1998. It has been 20 years since a Padre has started an all-star game from a position. That is unreal. So this is a team that's dealt with a lot of lean years and not a whole lot of stars. And they're in a state where the Dodgers spend a ton of money where the Giants have had Barry Bonds, Madison Bumgarner have won multiple championships, Bruce Bochy's probably about to retire and 
You win the way he's won, maybe a Hall of Famer as well. The Padres have had nobody. They've had a great reliever at one point, and they've had a couple of talented guys, and then those guys leave. So then they go and they just spend out, and they get Manny Machado, and they've spent over $470 million in free agent money in the last two years, bringing in Hosmer as well. They are changing everything about the way that they operate because they want to show their fans that they're committed to winning and that this is not always going to be this. And look, stick with us. That's $144 million for Eric Hosmer in the winter, $300 million for Machado. That's $444 million total. That is more than the Padres have spent in their previous 25 off-seasons combined. So I'm thinking about if you're out there right now and you've lived in a smaller market that has a professional team where you never think you've got a chance and you, do, and you see all these other big-name franchises getting all the big-name talent, what would it mean to you as a fan that stuck by that team no matter what, even never feeling like it was ever going to pay off? What would it feel to you if your team went out and made a move like this? I think it would be... All right, they're committed. They care. They're not just here to cash a check. They're going to find a way. And so we're going to see Padres fans and other fans, baseball fans, showing up at that yard to watch that team play. Now, when you get to August and they're way out of it, then maybe not. But this makes the Padres interesting, and it sells tickets. Colin Cowherd said yesterday on TV that it's not about the standings for the Padres it's about the stands. And that is a really good way to look at it. This is a ton of money that you're paying for a guy that actually is on record as saying last year, hustling is not my cup of tea. I'm not Johnny Hustle. That will dog him until the end of his career. Because we live in a 24-7, 365 outrage culture where one thing that you say, whether it was 40 years ago or 40 milliseconds ago, can define your entire identity for anybody that feels the need to cherry-pick. Manny Machado is a great defensive player. He's a great hitter. His splits are fantastic. His numbers are great. He's 26. Might actually be a better player than Bryce Harper. But people are going to say, oh, but he says he doesn't hustle. I don't know, man. Maybe not, but he's a really good baseball player. And whether or not you want to point to money spent here, you're, you're looking at a long-term proposition. I don't think Manny Machado will be there in 10 years. May not even be in the major leagues in 10 years. But he got guaranteed money. And in this climate, it does make some sense. If you're trying to make a team that's been relentlessly uninteresting for the last two-plus decades, and that's being generous... All of a sudden, you make them interesting. You make it more fun to watch them on TV a little bit. Now, baseball is not like basketball in that if you get a LeBron James, that can change your future, even if it doesn't win you a championship by itself, which we already talked about in the first segment. It's super team culture in the NBA. You need multiple Hall of Famers generally to win championships. And in baseball, you're one of nine, and unless you're a pitcher, you don't really affect the bottom line that much. Again, Vegas gave them two more wins with Manny Machado. From 67.5 to 69.5. That's probably not getting them in the playoffs, folks. 
I'm not a math major. I wasn't even a math minor. My girlfriend was. But I, I know that. But if you're selling tickets and it's interesting and you have a guy that can become the face and you have the opposite of Mike Trout, who doesn't want to be a star, who doesn't want to be a celebrity, who doesn't want to talk, who just wants to be a fantastic baseball player, then maybe that's worth its weight in gold for a team like the Padres. And there's just the interesting idea that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are neither one going to be a Yankee or a Red Sox or a Chicago Cub. Machado was almost a White Sox player. They offered him eight years, $250 million, or that's what they were going to offer. And if he was able to play out his full contract, that would have led to about $340 million. But a lot of that money wasn't guaranteed, so the White Sox let him go. And probably made a mistake in the process, because they needed a marketable star there too, especially with the Cubs across the way. But they didn't make the move. So the Padres, I guess you can congratulate them. They paid out the nose to get Manny Machado, but somebody was going to. And a 26-year-old guy with his skill set might be worth it just to fill that building on a more regular basis. And then if you add those farm players and they're as good as people say they are, maybe San Diego is looking way different two years down the road. And if so, then you pay what you got to pay to be competitive. You pay what you've got to pay to get yourself in position to win, especially with the Diamondbacks probably falling off, and you make sure that the Dodgers don't get any better. This seems like a win to me. Sounds crazy to say that. 10 years, 330 or 300 million dollars. I say the 10 years is the only problem with it, but pay what you got to pay to get a guy if you believe in him this much. We believe in you here at 1045 the zone. We'll be right back. Big 6. Final segment tonight, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Jason Martin with you. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Thanks for being part of my audience. Did say it off the top, but I always like to say I'm blessed beyond measure. So much so these days, and I hope that you recognize that you are as well. Looking forward to seeing a lot of you out the end of March. Saturday, March the 30th, 9-4 to 4, Nissan Stadium Sports Fest. 10th annual Sports Fest. Celebrate all things sports and all things Nashville sports and all things just the Zone community. Music City Blitz this year, five-on-five flag football tournament to help benefit Special Olympics Tennessee. Register your team. Go to musiccityblitz.com. That's going to be a lot of fun. Speaker Series is going to be back. We'll have announcements real soon about who you can come see speak with us. Vendor booths will be open. Concessions open. Inflatables and fun interactives. If you've been out to Sports Fest before, you know what a blast it is, how much fun your kids can have for almost no money. And this year, no money as it's going to be totally free. It'll tire your kids out as well. That's going to make your evening a little bit better. Free tickets is a big deal. Never done that before, but we want to We want to have you out there. We're going to have a ton of fun. We've had some wonderful companies jump on board with us, including Southern Jerky Company, Uncle Dave Making Days, Top Golf, Crossroads, Chiropractic, all of them and more going to be a part of Sports Fest. Looking forward to seeing a lot of you out there. It's our chance to to meet with you, to mingle with you, to meet your families, to just say hello, and also to say thank you for your support of what we do here at 104.5 The Zone every day, and so we look forward to it. And that's coming up on March the 30th, Sports Fest, 10th Annual. So I was thinking about Antonio Brown, and we talked about him earlier, and I was thinking about a variety of, of other guys that are similar in some ways in terms of perception. The Anthony Davis story about how 
there were only a few teams that he was willing to extend with has changed, and now he says basically he will extend with all 29 teams. Everybody is on his board, he says. Everybody's on his list, which includes the Celtics, which is probably means his dad and him are not getting along very well because he basically said over my dead body when it came to the Celtics because of things that had happened many years before. But the speculation is that one of the reasons Anthony Davis did this is because he doesn't like being perceived as a bad guy. He doesn't like being a villain. And there are those out there that can embrace that motif and some that fakely embrace it but then admit later on, yeah, I kind of like to be liked. We all generally like to be liked. Our pride gets in the way of sometimes saying what needs to be said in some cases. And then there are other athletes that go the opposite way and just don't care. And some of that information gets out there. Maybe an Aaron Rodgers or Ben Roethlisberger or lately, I I talked about him a couple of days ago, Kevin Durant, who's always in his feelings and has gone, went from being a very mild-mannered superstar throughout much of his tenure in Oklahoma City to a guy that's very difficult to like in the way he approaches his game in Golden State and goes after the media while still taking money from ESPN to do a show on ESPN Plus called Boardroom. But you can say a lot of things about Marcus Mariota. One thing you can't say about him is you wouldn't want him on your team as a guy, as an individual, as a human being. You wouldn't want him representing your company. You wouldn't want him on the ballot for your political party. I mean, he's about as nice as they come. And you can look at other guys that come across that same way. Maybe they're not behind closed doors because we don't know these guys, but a Russell Wilson, for example, or even an Andrew Luck, guys like that, that, yeah, you'd want to go to battle with that guy. And then you've got the Antonio Browns of the world that are all about themselves, seemingly. And you've got the Kevin Durants that are seem to be constantly whining and constantly complaining. And then you've got Anthony Davis, who cares so much about his own perception as well. Even Manny Machado, who we just talked about. I mean, he cares about his perception, I guess, but he's sort of out there. Like, he's fine being out front and doing some questionable things and just playing good baseball, but being a little bit more forthright with his hustle comments and things like that. He's more demonstrative than a Mike Trout. Everybody's built a little bit differently. But as an athlete or as a fan of an athlete, who do you gravitate towards? Do you gravitate towards the mild-mannered guy? The guy that just goes out there and handles his business? Or do you gravitate to the guy who goes the opposite direction and is constantly in your face? And does your answer have more to do with how good that person is at what they do than anything else? The benefits outweigh the problems discussion comes right back right here. Aaron Rodgers, based on everything you've ever seen or read about him, kind of a jerk. But he's Aaron Rodgers, so it's all right. The Colin Kaepernick argument was always, do his benefits outweigh his problems? Probably not in the eyes of most NFL owners. So that's led to him having problems. If you're good enough, you can do whatever you want. Antonio Brown is trying to prove that true now because he's definitely one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, but what exactly does that mean to a franchise that needs his skills but can't necessarily handle what he's going to bring off the football field? Odell Beckham Jr., similar situation but not to me as bad as Antonio Brown has become. Later on tonight, Duke and North Carolina live right here on 104.5. The zone coverage starts in about 45 minutes. Neutral zone, my buddy Chris Martell will talk Preds with you for the next 45 minutes. They got a nice win on the road last night. 
Let's go ahead and make you smarter on the way out the door. In the last 175 meetings between Duke and Carolina, Carolina has scored 13,337 points. Duke has scored 13,335. That's a difference of two, folks. In the last 102 meetings, Carolina's 151, Duke's 151. That's a difference of zero, folks. They've met 75 times since 1961 with both teams ranked. Carolina has scored 5,874 points. Duke has scored 5,874 points. That's a difference of zero as well, folks. I don't even know what to say about that. That's just absolutely incredible. We will be back on Friday night with another edition of the Big Six off tomorrow as more college basketball will be coming your way. Neutral Zone is next. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. Say goodnight.